Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Pan Lagos Foundation. Pan Lagos is based in New York City, and they are a nonprofit cultural organization founded on the ideals of Hellenism, dedicated to the betterment of humanity by supporting intercultural dialogue and exchange through the Hellenic language, education, and ideals, providing opportunities for the pursuit of excellence to individuals of all ages and backgrounds, bringing the wisdom of the past in dialogue with the present. We aim to inspire a happier, healthier humanity for today and the future. Welcome to the first episode of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. Together we're the Heslins. And this podcast came about after we recently co-authored a book called Nancy and PJ Learn French. It's a book based on our, I guess you could say our love story, which takes place over 20 years, three countries, two marriage proposals, two divorces. It took us a while to get things to, to work out in our favor. But the book writing process was really creative. And it wasn't necessarily about our story, how important that is, but to give people a chance to look at their own stories and to also feel some hope and some positive vibes about what our relationships are all about. Um, PJ, tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about how we wrote our book together. It's a bit different. (laughs) We decided to write uh, our own versions of the story separately. And so what that entailed was Nancy would sort of put together these dates and say, okay, start at this date. So I'd write my version of it and she would write her version. And the reason this all came about was because as in the last 13 years that we've been married, we've often... 12 re- years for those that are really <laughs> keeping tabs. 13? Uh, <laughs> when we're always recounting stories to each other or to friends or family, whatever, we always inevitably think, I don't know, you know, it didn't go that way. It went this way. And no, I said this and we'd said that. So we thought it'd be a great idea to write our own versions of our story because they are completely different. And to be honest, I think that's the way every relationship sees their relationship is like, no, 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 it went this way. No, 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 it went that way. And thus the arguments ensue. So we wrote the book from our own perspectives. We started with sort of similar dates or a similar theme or whatever. Actually, we started on the very first day we met That's is that right. when we start the book and we end 20 years later, the day that we get married. And we did use an editor that worked with us and coached us so that we, did ha- we had very little communication between the two of us specifically with this project. So that, you know, when you're told over the years that you do have a great love story, you kind of think, yeah, yeah, but PJ's right. When you share the details with people and you kind of raise your eyebrows at each other going, that did not happen that way, did it? And that being said, I think everybody has a great love story, but we wanted to write ours for our own purposes. And to me, that was the fascinating part about it, was reading how each of us had our own story of our relationship. 
and but, of these different little events in our relationship. But we weren't actually supposed to read each other's no. writing. And we were hoping to, the, obviously the objective was to get it published. And through our editor, we came up with a final product and sent it off to beta readers. And the immediate feedback was that each of our sections were too long interwoven. So we had to really work on that. And in that aspect, we ended up having to read each other's yes. versions. And this is how we really discovered how far off we were. But the interesting part of all of this is I have, I think, nine journals that I started writing the day we met based on the circumstances of how we met, not because I met PJ. And the journals go until we got married in 2010. So the first entry is May 6, 1990, and the last entry is December 24th, 2010. And all of these years that PJ and I were boomeranging on and off each other, not being able to work things out, or when we had no contact at all for seven years, all that time, I thought I was in the right, that the demise of our relationship was his fault. And then I came across my journals, reread them, <laughs> and um, I'm very embarrassed to say I was far from the truth of what I remembered. Which doesn't mean that I wasn't completely non-complicit in my behavior, but yes, we did realize that there were two distinct, different versions of our story. And that led us to the podcast, because no matter what type of relationship you have, whether you are happily committed in a long-term relationship, a new relationship, whether you're looking up someone on Facebook and wondering, an old love and wondering, like, what if, or even if you're just waiting to see if true love is out there, the thing is, is you always have to look at your side of the story and go, is that really how things are happening? I was telling a friend the other day, I went into Nice. We live in the south of France. I um, went into Nice to meet some friends for coffee. I was talking to them about the idea for the book and, and this concept, how we all have two different versions. And it doesn't mean that there's a right and a wrong. In fact, it's great to just sort of revisit how things really unfold in a relationship. My friend said to me something quite interesting. She had been on a trip this summer in Greece with her family and a longtime friend of the family who does every year an annual trip with them. And she and this friend always do a, a blog post just for family after the visit about their interpretation of what happened and what they enjoyed. And she said even reading their two blog posts, she couldn't believe that they were on the same trip and that the idea of having two versions to every story really does apply to any type of relationship. But we're really going to focus on, on love and positive things. So let's just explain a little bit about who we are. I am editor-in-chief of Forbes Monaco, and I have a passion project called Good News Monaco, which I try to write positive news stories based on promoting people and their businesses. So rather than using um, sensationalized headlines, I just use the name or of a person or a business and try to get some good news out of there as part of a positive movement, which this all started during COVID. That's a little bit about me. And I'm a house husband who's generously supported by Nancy. <laughs> in his dreams, in his dreams. This is how he's miscounted 12 and 13, because he just, all the bonbons have gone to his head. I am an educator uh, in the south of France, is the best way to say it. And before uh, you came here? Before you... I was, oh my God. So Let's just being an it. educator, this is my third career. So my first career was as a stand-up comedian slash actor in Toronto then I moved to New York and eventually lived in Los Angeles for a number of years. And then after that, I did tech. And then that took me to teaching. So just to give you a heads up, we are both Canadian. 
I was born outside. Of, well, I was born in Montreal. You were born. I'm born in Toronto. Yes. And PJ uh, left for the states, and I left for France, and we sort of ended up both living in the south of France, uh, where we got married. So maybe we can tell a little bit about how we met and yes. how our story begins, and the two very different two versions very of different what goes down. Yes. Right from day one, we actually have- no. The be- from the beginning, it was very similar. It wasn't until sort of the morning after our no, first. No, no, no. Even the way we met, we remember differently in the gym. So let's t- let right, we'll let, we'll leave it for listeners you to start. decide what's going. On. So on May sixth, nineteen ninety, is the day we met. PJ and I. Wait, really? What? <laughs> PJ and I had both grown up, spent our time in Toronto, but we didn't know each other. And we ended up signing up for a French immersion program in Quebec. So these programs are subsidized by the Canadian government. For the most part, you can pay, but they're subsidized by the government. You go and you spend six weeks in the late spring or summer. And why were you doing the program? Why did you sign up for it? I signed up for it because a friend in my French class at university we, I was in very small classes and a friend said, hey, let's sign up for this program. It's free. I'll drive you. We'll go. We'll have a great summer. I was like, fantastic. I had done a few programs and thought, because already my French was a pretty good level, Canada's bilingual, but I had always pursued French. I thought, why not? And I signed up for it because I had finished my undergrad and I wanted to go to grad school. And the program I wanted to go into, you had to be bilingual by the time you graduated. So I thought, okay, I'll do this program. I'll get my bilingual status out of the way, and then I can go to grad school. Okay. And that's Good plan. Yeah. You had lots of choices. Uh, yes. So we're talking a little bit about fate all the time, but yes. you had lots of choices. I think you were allowed to choose three specific cities within Quebec, the province of Quebec, where you wanted to study French. Kind of, It ranged from something like Montreal or Quebec City, which was more... Open power, yeah, Montreal is the biggest yeah. city, and also to be honest, Montreal has a lot of English speakers in it. You could you could easily do that program and not speak a lot of French if you were in Montreal, and that's why we didn't choose Montreal was because we at the time were quite serious. About no, but you can speak for yourself. French. You can't say why I did or did not choose <laughs> my my reasons for uh, choosing the Saint Pascal where we ended up. We didn't choose St. Pascal. We chose the main hub, which was Riviere de Lou. Yeah. I chose that because I wanted to do the homestay. I wanted to live with a family uh, okay. to have an enriched French immersion program because the options were live with a family, a host family, or live in the French residence dorms, which were fine. But I really was keen on improving my French. Yes, living with my French family was very enriching. Yeah, we'll get to that in a, in a second. So we ended up in this small town. And the first, um, I think it was, a, we met on a Sunday. And you had the Saturday and Sunday to arrive and get yourself sorted out. And then there was three days in Riviere de Lou where you were getting language tests. And they gave you a little bit of culture tours, things yeah. like that. And then the group of about 200 of us were divided into three to go off to small towns or to stay in Riviere de Lou, where most people, I think, did stay in the residence. So when we met, PJ arrived the day before I did. It was just before my 21st birthday. PJ was 25. You had just turned 25. Yes, 1990, so 25, yes. My parents, for some reason, the age of 21 in my family is like a really big deal. So my parents drove me from Toronto to Quebec City to pre-celebrate with me, took me to the Hilton, and we had a little birthday celebration, walked around Quebec City, and then they brought me to Riviere de Lou, where I was supposed to check into the residence for the next three days. And of course, when I tried to check in, there was no room because I was sort of late arriving. 
And they told me from that point, all the students had to stay at a local auberge or a local inn or motel down the road. And that was not the way that my controlled life was going to be or how I envisioned this. I wanted to hang out with everybody. And I could already see people and younger people in the residence having fun and I wanted to stay. So I had a little hissy fit as I usually did every couple hours in front of my folks, in front of everybody and said, I'm not going to go. <laughs> and they were like, sorry, you have no choice. I was like, okay. When you want something, it's going to happen. Like yeah. I can just imagine you with your parents just sitting there, like trying to calm you down. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And this poor French my person. Big, my dark, curly, Greekish kind of hair all over the place. Sitting behind yeah. a counter going, oh my God. Yeah, there was nothing they could do. There was not, I mean, it wasn't a question of I wanted to get into a course that was full. I really, they had no options. So I slunk down the stairs with my parents going back to the car and I was really. Pilgrims ruined. Yeah, the whole, the, the trip was ruined for me. This whole thing. It's awful. <laughs> And as I was walking down the stairs, I heard somebody call my name, which was shocking. Why would anyone in that part of the world know my name? And it was a student I went to high school with. Didn't know very well, but we'd been in band together. So I told her my sob story and she was with some friends and she said, oh, come in. You can just crash on my floor in the dorm for a couple of days. No problem. Problem solved. Kissed mom and dad goodbye. Thanks so much. Sorry that I embarrassed you once again. And they left and dropped my stuff in my friend's room. And we went down to the gym. So she had been there for the, a couple, the day before and knew who was who and some of the backstories. So she pointed to this guy playing basketball in a tank top and said, oh, that, that's PJ. He rode his bike here from Toronto, which I think was something like 800 kilometers, 700 kilometers. I think so, yeah. Because he's training for an Ironman. And I, I didn't even know what an Ironman was, and I couldn't have been less interested in either of these things. So that was that. We played volleyball. And all I remember about that first day is just sort of passing time until the evening where all the students had a dinner together and we went out. So I remember, once again, I remember it differently. I just have a distinct memory of me sitting in the stands reading the French version of On the Road by um, who wrote Jack, on the Kerouac? Road? Uh, Jack Kerouac. Yes. And pretending that I could understand every single word <laughs> of it. And I was reading that because, as I said, I was very serious about this, uh, this course. There, the choices were, you, know, you could go anywhere, like Montreal, Quebec City. And I specifically chose the smallest one because I was going to be very serious about this. And, and I went into it being very serious because at the time I was not very serious at all about really anything in my life. But I thought, okay, the six weeks... Priority number one, become bilingual, and that's what I am, and I'm going to be dedicated to that, and I'm not doing it in Montreal, because if I went to Montreal, I would just party, and it would be a waste of time. It would be fun, but it would be a waste of educational time. So I was very serious, and I'm reading this book. That, at least that's what I, how I remember, sitting in the bleacher, reading this book, and then I distinctly remember seeing Nancy come into the auditorium and there was no nobody introduced me to her or said oh she's from Toronto and she swam here or anything like that I just I distinctly remember her coming in as soon as I saw her I had never felt the same about anybody else in my life before that it was literally and there was a few people there before <laughs> me let's just put it that way and I know it sounds cliched it wasn't I wouldn't say it was love it first sight but I would say it was almost like being hit by a thunderbolt I was kind of like who okay and then all of a sudden my priorities 
changed dramatically from that instant, which was get to know that girl in the red hoodie, then learn some French and train for the Ironman both and maybe have some fun as well. But that, yes, in that instant that I saw her, that was my priority. It was get to know her. So he did have a chance later that evening. We didn't speak until really we went out to a few bars that night with everybody, with all the students, just sort of what do they call that, icebreakers. And a group of us, a small maybe, I don't know, a dozen or so, ended up at some dance bar. And I remember dancing to Madonna Vogue on the dance floor with a bunch of people. And it was really just fun. It was in the days before, you know, 1990s, we're talking no cell phones. We didn't have Google. People were having fun and were there. They weren't taking pictures of themselves yeah, having fun. You had to talk to people. Yeah, you couldn't. It was so much. It was just a great Yeah, and in great those time. uncomfortable social scenarios, it would have been easy to be on a phone and, and hide behind the phone. And mm. But you had no choice. It was <laughs> talk to these people or stare at a wall. Yeah, and also like being dance, you know, being silly on the dance yeah. floor. You weren't. Well, I don't know, do people care if they're being filmed or not? But, you know, those things didn't exist. We just had fun. Yes. And I remember talking with PJ and John and Anthony, and they, I don't know, something came up about boyfriends. And I said, yeah, I have a boyfriend of three years, which was true. And they seemed really surprised by that. I, I was wearing a little ring that my, a promise ring, I think they were called at the time. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, well, it wasn't a big one. To see. <laughs> So my boyfriend, yeah, I had been with a guy for three years, you know, a high school relationship. You were with him for that long. I did not know that. Yeah, three years. And I went to school at the time. I was at university in Ottawa, and he lived outside of Toronto and was not studious in any way. He was already working. So I was used to basically being on my own all the time. I only saw him maybe once a month. And because I had been with them, you know, two years before I even started university or something like that, it didn't seem unnatural to be flying solo all the time or just to be me because I also grew up with a lot of guys and I was comfortable just talking. And I loved socializing and talking to people with a drink in hand. That was, that was always the thing. So, yes, yeah, we and I loved years. drinking, period. Yeah. <laughs> Still do. Yeah. So off we are at this bar. We're dancing. What were, we, what were you dancing to? I, you know. I remember uh, the, the song of the summer was that technotronic shake, move your body, move your body, move your body, move that body for me. I think it was technotronic. P- PJ yeah. has not a fan of karaoke and will not make a career singing. I have singing, a beautiful but... <laughs> voice. A voice like an angel. Mm. Anyway, we went out to the bars. We walked home together. By that point, we were down to about a half a dozen people. I was still with my friend from high school, PJ. PJ and I were sort of walking back. But we, were, what I remember quite, was really quite inebriated. Yeah, but I just remember having fun. It was fun. It was we know very ch- fun. chatting and laughing. Chatting, laughing. There was no indication of a possible romance or anything. It was just being. It was being in the moment of fun and something new. Yes, we were having fun. I still thought you were. Very attractive. So I was attracted to you. But, yeah. Not at that I, moment. No, but because when I had found out that you had a boyfriend, I was in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, well, she has a boyfriend. We can still go out. We're having fun. This is fun. So, this is what I do. I like to drink. I like to go out with people. So it was fine. There wasn't, I had sort of consigned myself to the fact that, yes, this probably won't go anywhere, even though I still think she's attractive. So we walk into the dorm, and the dorm is pretty quiet. I must have been... What time did you think it was? Like, uh, right? Two, three in the morning, something and like that. And somehow my friend that I had, my friend that I knew and the people she was with, they weren't nowhere in sight. And when I 
I thought PJ was being really gentlemanly because he was walking me to my <laughs> dorm room where I was supposed to sleep on the floor. The door was open, but my friend wasn't there and no one was around. And PJ's just standing there and I'm thinking, huh? But that turns out that his room was right across the hallway from my friends. Fate. Fate. So we stood there for a few minutes and then he kissed me. No, you kissed me. Now, see, this is where... You, yeah, I wouldn't have kissed you knowing that you had a boyfriend. I had never cheated you, on my boyfriend and I had never you kissed You leaned any, no. into me. Anyway. You leaned into me. I would have not, as the brother of four sisters, I would have not forced myself on somebody who you had didn't a... didn't force yourself. You just gave me a nice... We were that's standing be, in the middle of course of I didn't force myself because you leaned in to kiss me. But let me just put it to... Set it up this way. She leaned in to kiss me. When I was standing in front of the door that's open to my, where I was supposed to sleep on the floor, and PJ was me. standing in the door of his dorm room and everything seemed very... It wasn't just because everybody was sleeping, but there was a really strange energy that I've never experienced before in my life. And when we kissed, it was just a simple kiss. I really felt like I, something in my head said, you are home. There was, it was, it was I, I mean, unless you've ever really felt that, have you ever felt that where it just, there's something different about that connection with someone. And even after all these years and through the 20 years that we were on and off together or that I really pined for him, I always thought about that kiss because it was like something bringing us together. For me, it wasn't immediately from the kiss. Because when you kissed me, I was shocked because I knew that you had a boyfriend. And I, I and you had spoken about the boyfriend. So I was kind of, in my head, I was like, what is going on? And it wasn't until sort of later when we were in the very, very small bed, I was thinking, oh, wow, this is different. This is something I've never felt before. And we weren't even communicating that it was just sort of odd chemical so i mean this is a really strange speaking of timing there was a story this week in the bbc that i read that is that really highlights or shines a spotlight exactly on that feeling and it was a story about a monk and a sister in the uk and they had been living in silence he had been living in silence for 13 years and uh, the sister had been living in silence for 24 years in a cell and one day the monk came over from Oxford to have lunch and the, the, the higher up, the, the senior sister that was supposed to take him into the room and feed him was taken away by a phone call. So this sister stepped in, they sat in silence and when he finished eating, she opened the door for them to walk out and she very gently, her arm touched his arm, just the material of what they were wearing. They didn't speak and she said, I'm going to read her quote because it's amazing. She said, I just felt a chemistry there, something, and I was a bit embarrassed. And I thought, gosh, did he feel that too? And as I let him out the door, it was really awkward. A week later, she received a letter from this man who she still had never spoken to, asking her to leave the convent to marry him based on that chemistry. And to me, when I read that, that proves to me or it reassures me that there are really unique people out there for us if we're willing to wait for that. Because I don't think kissing everybody is always the answer, no. <laughs> although it's a lot of fun. So we had that, for me, that's what it was. It was this chemistry that came from inside and I felt that everybody could see what was going on, but nobody knew. So we ended up, PJ and I, after that kiss somehow, 
anyway, we had a little sleepover. And the next morning, I woke up early. The next morning, I think a few hours later, I opened my eyes and uh, sort of slithered out of the room with two really shocking thoughts in my head. One was that I had never cheated on a boyfriend. And so that felt strange. And also, we had been asked to sign a agreement that we would speak French during the six weeks. And we were only, if we got caught speaking English more than three times, we'd been sent home. But we didn't speak a word of French that no. first day or first night. So those I two remember, things were going through my head. Like I, I cheated and I haven't well. spoken French. Because well, I, I didn't worry about you cheating on me. But I do remember thinking, oh, we're only supposed to speak French to each other. How am I supposed to work that Heslin charm only in French? Oh, oh. Heslin charm. Yes, yes. So that was, that was the worst. The, the, the stranger part of the whole story is that if you've ever had that feeling with the first kiss, whether you've had that kind of chemistry or just that excitement that comes with the first kiss, usually you go home and then you wait for someone to call or text or whatever it is people do right yeah, now. Yeah, your life goes yeah. on. You're, you're, you either go back to, at that time, we to would have work, gone back to, to school. school or work. But we, we were now effectively living together with a bunch of other people in this bubble, for educational bubble for six weeks, which I didn't think about those implications of it at the time, but they certainly did play a big part in our relationship. So I did start this journal the day that I met PJ, but not because I met him. And PJ was 25. I was j- just about to turn 21. And I had you know, you've kissed somebody and now you're going to have to sit with them on a bus tour and spend six weeks with them. And so I was really all over the place emotionally. So PJ in every episode is going to read something from one of my journals that shows not just that I was not totally correct in my own mind, but just that we were on different wavelengths. Yes. Nancy was, uh, what did you say? How did you say you were emotionally crazy? No, not crazy, but emotionally who All knows over the emotion. place. Yeah. Whereas I was very emotionally centered. I was very, very, even though I was 25, very mature for oh, my please. age. Yeah. I Just had no ego. growing to do. I was very together. Okay, so this is from May 6, 1990. <laughs> so Nancy writes, I met PJ on Sunday and thought he was an asshole. This is two days after I've met him. Yeah. Nice. Sorry, May 8th. <sighs> but he is such a right. That is true. Uh, he makes me laugh like no one else. That is true. I never thought that things would turn out this way, but there's something that attracts me to him so badly. Good grammar. (laughs) grammar. I couldn't believe that he was 25, so the past few nights have been excellent. I feel weird towards him because I don't know how to act. I want to jump him all the time. Yeah. This sounds like you're much younger than 21. I Uh, I want to jump him all the time, but I know he does not feel the same for me. Not true. I did want to jump you all the time. I don't really know why I care because we've only known each other for two days. I wouldn't. It wouldn't really surprise me if he's with other girls because I can't figure if he's serious ever. Yeah. So stay tuned for the next episode to find out what happens after our kiss and the morning after as we are about to embark on six weeks together and my scattered brain overanalyzing everything every two seconds and not knowing if PJ felt the same. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. This is a complimentary project to our manuscript, Nancy and PJ Learn French. You can check out nancyandpj.com for more on that. A huge thanks to everyone at Life's Tough Media, Dustin, Isaac, and Alyssa for all your help. 
And if you like what you're listening to, please share this podcast or get in touch with us to share your own love story with two versions. Next episode, we look at what happens after your first kiss when you're spending the next six weeks together every day.